just a really warm welcome to all of you today. Uh, my name is Pastor Nick, if uh, perhaps you're new with us over these last couple of weeks and you don't know who I am. Uh, lots of you, uh, I'm sure, will know who I am already. Um, but just, yeah, just a really, really warm welcome. Why don't we just uh, give a round of applause to anybody that's uh, in our building here for the first time. We just want to say you're really welcome amongst us. And um, we consider it a privilege that you would come and be part of our gathering today. Um, uh, so we're looking at something from uh, The Last Supper. We're in part four of The Last Supper series. Uh, we're working our way through some of this great teaching between John 13 and John 17 that Jesus brings uh, as part of his uh, kind of Last Supper messages and teachings to his disciples before, he goes to, before his betrayal and before he goes to the cross. Uh, and he says some truly incredible things. And I just felt like uh, as we got to Easter, we had a great Easter service. And I, I felt like the Lord was saying, no, teach off of the, the Last Supper as a response to Easter. Uh, and so that is what we're going to be doing uh, over these few weeks. Um, we are talking about something called the way today. Uh, the way. And uh, I've been kind of thinking about the way and the idea of a way uh, quite a lot over these last couple of weeks in preparation for my message. And I, I wanted to share a, a, a tale from my youth when I was 12, uh, back in the uh, Easter of uh, 1980, I think it was. Um, myself and my friend Adrian and another friend called Andrew, we were all in the 9th Horseman Den Scout Troop, uh, and we were assigned the task of going on a 30-mile trek uh, along a way. It was called the South Downs Way, uh, and the South Downs are in the southern part of England. They're kind of rolling chalk hills, uh, and the South Downs Way that runs along these hills stretches for about 100 miles. If you did the whole thing, you'd be climbing and descending around 13,000 feet. Uh, kind of starts in Winchester and ends up in Eastbourne. Um, it's kind of quite a spectacular thing. Some of the views from the South Downs Way are very good. The paths are white because it's all chalk hills, um, and so we decided as scouts that we were going to try and do 30 miles of this uh, particular way with our, with our backpack. So we had everything with us. Uh, we had uh, food, water, tent, clothing, uh, cooking equipment. It was the kind of trek where you would be walking along and things would rattle. You know, tins would bump against each other, that kind of thing. We had double socks in our boots. We had ordnance survey maps. We had a compass. But we had a very clear direction along this way. Uh, and the first day, we got dropped off at the drop-off point by one of the parents, I think it was. And the first day was idyllic. I mean, the weather was great. It was unseasonably hot for Easter, um, just after the Easter weekend, I think it was. And it was beautiful, beautiful weather. Uh, so we set off, and the first day was idyllic. It was great. It was everything you would hope for a scouting trek. You know, there was a light breeze. The sun shone. Uh, we whistled. It was just the best, you know. And we got to this particular uh, campsite, and it was like in a meadow, and uh, we cooked sausages on on an open fire. There was a beautiful sunset. And I was thinking, what is not to like about hiking? I'm loving this life. This is great. Scouts are so cool. And then the next day, things were a little bit different. Uh, Andrew woke up with very sore feet and had blisters and found it hard to walk. The weather was, the, the sun got even hotter. Um, we started to get really parched. Um, I don't know if, if you've ever been walking up in the hills, but there are these birds called skylarks. And they're very small, and they go really high up into the blue sky, and they Twitter all day long. I'm sure that the, the, the social media platform Twitter has been named after the Skylark. They just go, like it's all day long in the background. And it's great if you just go and you're there for half an hour, but we were there all day, and these birds were warbling all day. So we started to get a bit worn down, and by the time we got there in the evening to our second campsite, we were pretty hacked off with each other. There was a, you know, a bad mood in the camp. We then ate all the food, which wasn't good because we had 
had nothing left for the, the following day, apart from a block of cheese. I think somebody left a block of cheese. We didn't sleep very well. And then we woke up in the morning. You know if you've ever done a lot of walking and you wake up and the next day you're kind of, ooh, really sore. And you've got like pads on the bottom of your feet that you didn't know you had. You know, it's that kind of thing. So all of us were struggling on the final day. Uh, we had a long way to go. I think it was like 11 miles left. And we made, we made it along this way, but tempers got very frayed. A- Andrew had to give us some of his kit because he was really struggling. And at, at about 2 p.m. in the afternoon, we were all about to give up hope. When we came over the brow of a hill, we had about four miles left to go. And we really didn't think we could make it. We came over the brow of a hill, and we saw this Texaco garage in the valley, just like there was a main road traveling along, and the, the path went down. And we were so pleased because we went in and bought Aid and we bought Mars bars, and we just stocked up, and it really gave us that final push to get through the last four miles. Now, I'm quite a competitive person, and um, so what I did was I kind of got a second wind, and I was like, yeah, I can do this, come on, and I started to press ahead, and get. I had the, the end in sight, and I wanted to get to the end of the way, uh, and I was really keen to finish this thing, and so I started to break apart from the pack, and I, and I started to get further and further ahead, and I arrived at the pickup point uh, uh, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes ahead of the other two. I thought that Mr. Stubbings, who was my scoutmaster, would be pleased to see me, he was a little annoyed. And he said to me, that wasn't wise that you did that because if they're then in trouble or if you got in trouble, you would be by yourself and they would be by themselves and they might need your help. Sure enough, Andrew and uh, Adrian kind of came trogging in really tired and I noticed that Adrian was carrying all of Andrew's stuff and I didn't feel very good. Uh, Mr. Stubbings took us to one side and he said, really guys, you've done great, well done to finish it, but you shouldn't ever split up on something like that again. Uh, And I learned a really important pastoral lesson when I traversed the way that day, which is that the way isn't just the destination that you're going to get to. The way is the how you do it. The way is the how. It's not just the journey. It's not just the destination. It's not just being first when you get there. It's also how you do it. And we need to make sure that we're looking after others along the way, uh, you know, along our, the journey of our lives. Amen? Yeah? So just wanted to open with that story because uh, I was reminded of it uh, as I was thinking back through my life about examples of the way because that is something that we're looking at today. So we are in part four of the Last Supper series. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a, a reminder of the different series, you can watch all of these on YouTube. They're all there if you missed any. We started on the weekend after Easter with the message about serving, didn't we? And we looked at how Jesus washed his disciples' feet as an incredible example of even though he's Lord, he wants to serve and therefore so should we. Then we looked at the idea of love the following weekend. We looked at what it means to love somebody the way Jesus loves them. Um, There's this command, isn't there, that we should love each other as ourselves, but then we spotted that the template of self-love we might have on the inside could be faulty, and actually we need to get the template of how Jesus loves on the inside of us and that that will really help us. Uh, there we go. That's a whole sermon in one, one sentence. Um, and then w- last weekend, we looked at the kind of the gritty and difficult reality of betrayal. We looked at how Judas um, kind of got tripped up along the way of his life and got kind of embedded with the wrong values. Uh, we, we heard that story about the necklace, didn't we? Uh, that was pretty distressing. Uh, so yeah, if you missed any of those, do catch up. Uh, today, we are looking at something that I would broadly summarize as the way and the truth and the life. But we could also say something around the idea of comfort as well, because Jesus brings comfort to his disciples when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, I want you to uh, imagine something for a moment. 
I want you to imagine that you are around a person that you really, really admire, that you love even, that you look up to. They've been an influence in your life, in your journey. And then, almost inexplicably, they start saying some things that trouble you. They start saying things like, well, I'm going to be going to a place where you can't come. And you're sitting there thinking, hmm, that doesn't sound very rosy to me. I'm a bit worried about that. Uh, Are you all right? You start saying those things, don't you? Because when somebody starts to say those things, that starts to ring some alarm bells. Well, it will with me anyway. And can I just say to you, if any of you uh, in the congregation or any of you guys online, if if we have a pastoral interaction and you start saying things like, uh, well, you're not going to be able to come where I'm going, um, let me tell you, me and Chloe are going to get very concerned about you very quickly. Because sometimes that language comes out from people who are plotting some wrong things with their lives uh, or some self-destructive things. And we need to get behind that and understand that. So you can understand that the disciples are there at the Last Supper and Jesus starts saying these statements. And they're getting a little bit confused and they're a bit troubled and they're not sure where he's going with things. Uh, Let me just uh, take you through some of the reactions they might have had in their mind When someone says something cryptic and puzzling and disturbing like that, you start to go on a mental journey, don't you? You start to think to yourself, what are they saying? Where is this going? Is Jesus talking about going to prison? Uh, Because I can't accompany him there. Is Jesus talking about like another dimension? You know, like something we've never seen yet. Uh, Because we've seen Jesus do really crazy things like kind of asking Peter to walk to him on the water. Is this one of these things where Jesus is going to do something very different? Is he talking about death even? Is he kind of going there in his mind? So you can imagine the range of reactions that the disciples might be having. Let me just take you back to John 13, 33 for just a moment. Uh, And you can, by the way, you can follow this along in your YouVersion app. If you go into your YouVersion app and click on events, search for Birmingham City Church, you can see all the notes there, the, the scripture references, and you can add your own comments and save that for later uh, if you want to. Jesus says in John 13, verse 33, this is the first time that he starts, well, he kind of indicates it sometimes in his ministry, but this is the first point that he starts to say these things that are disturbing. He says, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. There it is. And so then in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 36, uh, Peter just comes out with it. We, we all need a Peter in our social circle. The person who just says the thing we're all thinking, that's a healthy thing to have. That's one of the great things about Peter. He just says it. He just goes there. He, he asks him out, outright, Lord, where are you going? And then Jesus answered, a little bit cryptic still, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. It doesn't really help us too much more, Jesus, if we're really honest, but at least Peter's asked you the question. Is Jesus talking about dying? They're all thinking. And then Thomas, you know, Thomas who had the doubts after the resurrection and wanted to see Jesus and put his hands on Jesus' wounds, that Thomas, he says in John 14 verse 5, he says, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Because Jesus has just said, hey, you're going to know the way. And then, in response to that that question from Thomas, Jesus says this big statement in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know what your reaction to a statement like that is, but it's a pretty big thing to say, isn't it? 
And just imagine for a moment one of your friends tried to say that. You'd be like, uh, no, you're not the way and the truth and the life. What are you on about? It, and so when you, when you put it in someone else's mouth, that statement, you suddenly realize who Jesus is. Because that's the kind of thing that only God can say. Isn't it, really? Only Jesus can say that. Only, only somebody with divine power can say something like that. And so it, I feel that this statement is a very big thing to say, and it reveals something of the God nature of who Jesus is. Um, there's loads of different ways we could take such a message. You know, I am the way and the truth and the life is like a mini-series all in its own right, and we're not going to try and squeeze that into one, one uh, message this morning. <laughs> Um, but I, I, what I want to offer you is kind of like a headline, a headline reason. Why does Jesus make this statement at this point? Why does he say this? You know, you could have, Jesus, you could say this at kind of pretty much any point in your ministry. Why have you decided to say it now? What's so key about it? And I think it's because he wants to bring comfort. He wants to say some things to his disciples to comfort them in a moment of some big uncertainty. Because they are right in sensing that a big event is about to go down. Something big is happening, and Jesus is kind of leading them into, to, into it gently. Um, and he's trying to provide some comfort, a framework with which they can manage this. He gets, Jesus gets that a future without him as their leader would suddenly make them feel very uncertain, wouldn't it? If you imagine, you know, that, that person that you love or that person you've been around for a long time, they suddenly indicate that they might be going, you'd be like, well, what's going on? That, that's not right. Uh, Jesus gets that they're beginning to feel disoriented. They don't know where they stand. He gets that they're struggling uh, with how to interpret the situation. They're not sure what to make of what's going on. Jesus understands that they're becoming concerned about their future and his future. And he perceives all of this. And then he says, in response to what he's perceiving, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what he's doing by saying that, he's bringing them strong comfort, a, like a pastoral framework for how to manage what might be coming. And I'm going to suggest that that's a great framework for us in facing some of the difficulties that we might be facing in our lives. And I'm going to take us down one of the paths, and we're going to look at the way uh, in just a minute and unpack that a little bit more. When you're really disoriented... You need direction, don't you? You need to know that there's a way. When you're struggling to interpret something or make sense of something, what you need is somebody to tell you the truth. You need someone to show you what's true and what's not. And when you're concerned about future or well-being or livelihood or life even, you need to know that there is a life and a destiny and a, and a future ahead of you. And so when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, he tackles all of those things. And we need to hear that quite a lot in our lives, particularly at the moment. We're in a, still in a season of tremendous uncertainty and upheaval, it feels to me anyway. We need to hear Jesus speaking over us, you know, that when things are in turmoil and chaos, he is saying there's a way. Whatever chaos or turmoil you are facing individually, right there in your seat right now, I, I can't even begin to imagine what might you, you might be going through. Jesus says to you, hey, there's a way, and it's in me. When meaning seems really hard to establish, when it's very difficult to interpret what's going on, we need, to hear, we need to hear Jesus saying, hey, there's some truth to be discovered, and that truth is found in me. If you turn to me, I will share the truth that you need to have for your life. 
Who finds it hard to interpret stuff at the moment? I do. I look in the news and I look at social media sometimes and I think, I don't even understand this. I don't understand what the cause of the issue is. I don't understand the debate. I don't even understand some of the language that's going on. I look up words on Google and go, oh, it means that. Wow, did you say that? And, you know, it's kind of a confusing world. I don't know if you maybe share, maybe I'm the only one, but I, I find stuff hard to understand and I find it difficult to interpret the times. And I'm so grateful for Jesus because I know that I can go to him and he will reveal truth to me. Amen? When life itself seems precarious or hanging in the balance, we need to hear Jesus saying, life and vitality is available to you in full measure, not just in this life, but in the next. That's incredibly reassuring for Jesus to say those things. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're disoriented, you know, like that that game that sometimes people play where they spin you around and they put a blindfold on you, and then you have to kind of work out, you know, you're, you're a bit dizzy and you have to work out where to go. Jesus is the person to turn to because he's the way. He's the truth. He helps you interpret really hard situations. And he's the life because he has vital. It says at the beginning of John's gospel that life was in Jesus. Almost like life is a subset of who Jesus is. And there's a load of other stuff as well. Although that's just going down a big tangent. There is a, this is a very, very comforting passage of Scripture, and it's often read at funerals. I don't know if you've been to a funeral recently at all, but sometimes what happens is the pastor will walk ahead of the, the deceased as they come into the church, and the pastor will literally read out loud from John 14, uh, 1 through to 7, and he'll say, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And the reason that we so often do that as ministers is because it brings great comfort to people who are in turmoil or uncertainty or in grief. They need to hear Jesus say, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And church, I just press that into your spirit this morning. You have the way and you have the truth and you have the life in the person of Jesus. You do. He's there alongside you. He's right alongside you all the time. Um, I'm going to, as I said, you could go down any number of different ways with this. The, the way, the truth, and the life is huge. It's deep. It's got so much to it. I'm going to just go down the way. And we're just going to unpack some encouragements around this idea of Jesus being the way. Uh, And then hopefully that will equip you for the week ahead and the months ahead so that you can go back to this message and just be encouraged about Jesus being the way. Three things to share with you about Jesus being the way. First of all, Jesus makes a way to the Father's house. Jesus makes a way to the Father's house. Uh, Karen read so beautifully for us just now. She said these words, don't let your heart be troubled. This is from John 14, verse 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Jesus makes a way to the Father's house. And that's a deep truth that all of us need to receive as followers of Jesus. Uh, Let me just give you a a bit of a story to illustrate uh, the point. Uh, Over this last week or so, uh, a few of us on our BCC team had a chance to go to the Elam Pentecostal Church's annual conference. Now, we're an Elam Pentecostal church. Uh, If you walk past all the roadworks outside on on the far wall, I think it's here, there's a brown sign that says Pentecostal, I think it says Elam Pentecostal Church. It certainly says Pentecostal Church. 
Um, and uh, our movement has a conference once a year, and around about 550, 600 churches and their leaders and their elders and their associated teams all gather um, in, a place, uh, in a place in Yorkshire. It's Harrogate. Uh, there's a, a big convention center there that can seat 2,000 people. Um, and we all gather and we have three days or so of business and keynote messages and encouragements and, and, and worship and so on. And it's, it's a great thing for us. We do it once a year um, and uh, we go and do that. Uh, that's part of, part of one of the things I need to do as a minister. I'm, I'm required to go to that conference and be part of things because I'm an Elim ordained minister. Now, what happens is with those 2,000-odd people that are there is that Harrogate is a town that is used to hosting a whole lot of people. Uh, And so there are loads and loads of hotels and bed and breakfasts and rooms around the city that you can go and be, uh, you know, you can go and stay in. And uh, the team went and stayed in a very nice hotel. It was like, you know, very, a little bit older, but just really classy. It was a lovely treat, actually. Uh, Very nice to stay uh, just for for three nights there. Um, And when you're um, walking into those morning sessions, those morning keynote sessions or the evening keynote sessions, what you see is you see effectively a couple of thousand Christians all walking from their rooms around the city and arriving in the convention center together. And as they get nearer to the center, it gets pretty packed. And when you're going through the door, it's like kind of they have to kind of squeeze you through and they're checking bags. And then you walk all together in this massive tide of people. And then you arrive inside the convention center uh, sort of auditorium. And then there's 2,000 of you sitting there. Uh, And it's quite a good picture of the father's house. Because they've, all of us will have a room in the Father's house. Did you know that when you die, your spirit goes to be with Jesus in heaven and you are assigned a room in the Father's house? That is a comforting truth to know, isn't it? Very comforting. Death is not the end for the follower of Jesus. We go and we are assigned a room in the Father's house. Uh, and that's a, a spiritual reality that's incredibly comforting to us. As Jesus is teaching the disciples this stuff, he reveals the destination, which is his father's house. He says it has many rooms. He promises the disciples that they're going to go there. And of course, we as disciples today have that same promise. We inherit that promise too, that we are going to join the Father in heaven in eternal life. And we'll each have a room in the Father's house. Now, I don't know what your room is going to be like. Uh, I'm hoping that my room overlooks a -a five-a-side football pitch and that there's lots of other chaps that just want to play football with me anytime I want. That would be just awesome. Um, I imagine that Jesus, can I also say I'd like the body back to play with five-a-side? I can't do that anymore. It's very frustrating. Um, I imagine that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit and there will be various angels also in the Father's house. Uh, Do you remember that uh, uh, the the description that we get in Isaiah chapter 6? Uh, that there are cherubim, that they, there are, with two wings they fly, and with two wings they cover their face, and two wings they cover their feet. I imagine that some of them will be around the Father's house, and that will be pretty cool and a little bit scary. I'll just put it to you uh, that that's going to be uh, an interesting experience. Jesus spells out a destination when he says, I am the way. The way includes the destination. And it includes the fact that we are going to be ending up in the Father's house. Are you with me so far, church? Yeah? Okay. Jesus is defining himself as the path, and he's defining the Father's house as the destination. Follow me, says Jesus, on this way that I'm offering you as part of who I am, and you will end up in the Father's house. What that means is is if you believe in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven, and Jesus is the way you're going to get there. So number one, Jesus makes a way 
to the Father's house. Number two, Jesus makes a way designed just for you. Jesus makes a way designed just for you. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, part of the way is that he designs some stuff that only you can walk through, but that he wants to walk you through, that, that, so he wants you to walk through in order to fulfill the purposes he had in mind for you from before the creation of the world, which is a pretty staggering idea, really. But Jesus had us in his mind's eye, and he had a plan for us from before creation that we would walk through some things that are specific to us. Now, there are some stuff in the plan that is uh, true for all Christians. So, for instance, the provision of God's word is true for all Christians. We're all, in, all of us get included in that bit of the plan. But alongside that, there are some specifics in a plan from, Jesus, uh, from, from God to us in Jesus being the way that are unique to us. They're unique to us because we're individuals, we have specific gifts, we're, we're born in a particular time, we have things that God wants us to do. In fact, the early church exhibited that collective sense of the way because they were known as the way. Uh, it was something that they got called in the book of Acts. If you remember when Saul was persecuting the Christians, they were known as the way. But a large amount of the way is unique to us. Now that's quite an interesting idea. That's, that's quite a mystery. You can discuss this over your Sunday lunch. How much of the way is, is everybody's? And how much of the way, when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, how much of it is it just me? How, is it, how much is it just for me? That's a very interesting idea. Let me, show, let me share a little story to illustrate what I mean, because that's quite a deep concept. Have you ever uh, stopped to ask for directions? Have you been walking along the street or going along in your car? And then the directions you've had, have they been good or have they been appalling? You know, I can remember both. I, I remember get, getting some instructions from a guy and it was just crystal clear what to do. And then I've had instructions about directions, you know, for directions that have just been abysmal. And I, I, would, I, was, worse, you know, I was worse off after trying to follow them. That's, has that ever happened to you? Come on, admit it. We've all asked for directions. And we've had mixed results, haven't we? Now, I think that re the request to ask for directions happens a lot less these days because we've all got GPS on our phones, haven't we? We can get our phone out and it w works out where we are. And we've got, you know, sat-navs in our car that work on GPS as well. But actually, we all still need good directions. We all are, we are blessed by good directions. So uh, something that happens sometimes is if Chloe needs to go on a pastoral visit and she has the car, I will walk into the church from where I live. It's about a half-hour walk. And I was doing this the other day, uh, and I got to Great Tyndall Street, which is kind of behind the NIA. And as I was walking along, I saw this group of three ladies, and they were, they were, a, bit, a, bit, they were a bit stressed, actually, and they were like, kind of talking quite loudly. And, and as I drew near, two of them kind of disappeared, and they sort of went off with their pushchair. They had a little kid with them. Um, and then this one lady was left by herself, and she sort of turned to me and kind of said, hey, can I get some help? I've got an appointment in Port Loop, and I've got no idea how to get there. Now, she'd put the address into her phone, into her Google Maps, and it was showing how to get there. But I, I asked her for the address, and I put it into my phone. Then we compared phones, and together we worked out where it was that she needed to go. So I then carried on in my, in my journey, going kind of the other way towards church, and she then carried on with her journey uh, going towards an appointment in Port Loop, you know, that new development down by the canal. Now, the reason I share that story is that just as I walk into church and I've got a particular plan and a, a thing that God has got for me that day, she had some stuff she needed to go and do that was unique for her. Jesus has a way that is tailored for us. And it's not necessarily the same way as other people have. Because we all have different assignments, we all have different parts to play in the body. 
There's a great verse from Ephesians 2.10, and it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We've got things that God wants us to be doing. So when Jesus says, I am the way, he has some stuff for us that he wants us to do. He's got a plan for us. He's going to send us in a particular direction that might be unique for us. There are some things that only you can do in your life that Jesus needs you to do. So my suggestion and my, my counsel is anytime you need to know the way about some specifics for your life, stop Jesus during your prayer time, ask him to get his phone out and get him to show you his map for your life. And then you can compare and you can go, right, okay, Jesus, I need to go this way. That's the purpose of the illustration. So first, Jesus makes a way to the Father's house. Second, Jesus makes a way designed just for you. And third and last of all, Jesus makes a way where there isn't one. Jesus makes a way where there isn't one. Jesus is a genius at coming up with ways through things that we would say humanly, "Uh uh-uh, that's not possible. What's not possible is completely possible very often for Jesus. For nothing is impossible for God, it says in Luke chapter 1, about the conception of, uh, of Jesus in Mary's womb. Jesus makes a way where there isn't one. So when Jesus says, I am the way, you need to have confidence that that way will be created for you sometimes, and sometimes in a miraculous way for you. Sometimes it's Jesus kind of completely going against science, against biology, against physics, and he makes a way. And that's very exciting. You know, Jesus, I keep saying this, Jesus is a very exciting person to be around. He does stuff that is not normal. And that excites me because I want to be around that. I want to, I want to be around it when Jesus does crazy stuff because that shows me he's God. That shows me he's doing great things. And I get excited about that. I got to this because I, I was pondering this idea that, uh, that Jesus is, is, is able to, uh, to get us out of stuff when we get stuck. And so when we're stuck or when we're facing something really, really difficult, what we need to do is ask Jesus in his capacity of being the person who knows how to make the way, to make a way for us. We need to ask him to do that. A miracle is God making a way. If you think about that, a miracle is God making a way, isn't it? And Jesus is continually doing this for us. Think of all of those different times where God has made a way. You know, Joseph escapes death, doesn't he, from his brothers, and he gets, he gets given the gift of dream interpretation, which gets him out of prison in Egypt. Uh, Moses escapes uh, death because he gets put in a basket of rushes and sent down the river, and God makes a way for him. Joshua uh, has the... Uh, sorry, jumped ahead there. The people of Israel have many, many instances where God makes a way for them. Uh, they escape uh, from the Egyptians by what? By God making, literally making a way through an ocean, through a sea, through the Red Sea. He makes a way. He parts the waves. Uh, he provides manna in the wilderness and provides a way for them to have food. Um, as, they, as the pro- uh, people who are about to enter the promised land are waiting on the wrong side of the Jordan, God makes a way by stockpiling all the water at a town called Adam, which strikes me as unbelievably fortunate in the English language. And all the water piles up, the Jordan dries up, and all of the people walk across on dry land because God makes a way. Joshua is able to take the city of Jericho because God says to him, I want you to worship, and the worship will make a way. And who needs to be reminded of that this morning, that sometimes worship makes a way where nothing else will? Naaman 
had a way made for him with his skin. He went and consulted the man of God, and then he bathed in the river seven times, and his skin was healed. Gideon had a way made for him by God with the Midianites. Esther had a way made for her by God with her people so that she could save her people. David had a way uh, against Goliath, and he had God's way against Goliath. Uh, And all the Philistines fled. Daniel had a way made for him in the lion's den. Jonah had a way made for him through the uh, provision of a great fish. Elizabeth had a way past the limitations of old age, and she became pregnant with uh, John the Baptist. Saul had a way, literally on the way to Damascus, made for him by God because of the encounter with Jesus on that road. Jesus makes a way for all of us by paying for our sin on the cross. God makes a way for us to have access to him by ripping the curtain in two that separates the most holy place from the ordinary person, and he invites us in and gives us access, which is a way. That is what a way is. It's access. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back up right now. When Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life, he is able to make a way when there isn't one. That is what he's able to do. Number one, Jesus makes a way for you to the Father's house. He does. You are included in the Father's house because of the way that Jesus makes for you. Number two, Jesus makes a way that is designed just for you. There are some, speci- there are some things we all share in that way, but there are some loads of things that are just for you. And number three, Jesus makes a way where there isn't one. I'm going to ask us all to stand, BCC. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to ask you to come and do some business with Jesus. Come and be intentional about Jesus this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, kind of three things. And if one of these applies to you, I'd love for you to just make your way down to the front and just stand at the front while we worship and, and spend some time telling God some stuff. First thing, are you sure that you're coming to the Father's house? What I'm saying there is, have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? If you haven't received Jesus as Lord and Savior, this promise of the Father's house has not yet been opened to you. And you need need to make a decision to respond to that invitation. And so maybe some of the people in here may not already know Jesus or have decided that. I'm going to ask you to be really brave and come down the front. Now, there's more people responding to other things, so you're not going to get singled out. It's fine. But we would love to pray for you uh, in response to that. Secondly, so first thing, are you sure that you're coming to the Father's house? Secondly, do you need Jesus to tell you some of the steps from the way that he has designed for you? Are you a, in other words, are you a bit confused about next steps in your life? You think that maybe Jesus is taking you in one direction, but you're not completely sure. This is the ideal opportunity today, right now, to come and do business with Jesus and say, Jesus, do I buy the business or not? Do I go to this particular place or not? Do I marry this particular person or not? It's decision time around some big things in your life. Come and do business with Jesus because he will show you the design of your life that is the way for you. That can happen, literally can happen today. And then last, do you need Jesus to make a way through something impossible for your your life? Are you facing something very, very difficult? You have no idea how you're going to get through it and you just need Jesus to help you through it. You need Jesus to make a way. If that's you, then come on out. 
Come and stand at the front and do business with God. We're going to sing for a little bit. Kevin and the team are going to lead us in some worship. But just make your way to the front. Please don't hang back. Come and do something, something very important about being intentional about responding to Jesus at times like this. Come and stand. God will bless you. He will speak to you. Uh, and then when we've done that, at the end, we'll come and wrap up and we'll do some prayer time and uh, we'll release you guys from our live stream. Let's sing. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you.